Good morning, Calvary. Hey, I'm Jay Ewing. I'm one of the pastors on the Erie campus. So good to be together this morning. I have a question as we start our time together. Have you ever witnessed something that changed your life? An event, a moment that just impacted you in such a way that it just changed sort of the trajectory of your life. So it was March 23, the 23rd of March, 2012, I had just finished up uh, a lunchtime run on the south side of Longmont. So I, one of my favorite places when we used to live in Longmont was just sort of uh, south of the Walmart on 119 and County Line. There's a little trail out there and a lake, and it's just beautiful, and not a lot of people go out there during lunchtime, and so it was a perfect opportunity uh, to get away for the day. As I was finishing up the run and stretching actually on the concrete and cooling down before I jumped back into the car, um, I heard a familiar sound above me. Uh, airplanes, right? If you live in Erie or Longmont, we're really used to these uh, sounds quite often. Buzzing over our head as we mow the yard or we play in the park or as we take a walk, we, we hear these sounds and they're very familiar sounds to us. But as I was cooling down, something stuck out to me, and that was silence. When there was so much noise just a moment before, silence caught my attention. And as I recognized that there was silence, I looked north, and there before me in a very strange picture, a plane was falling down to the ground and it was missing a wing. And I was looking at sort of the top of the plane and I could actually, it was at an angle that I could actually see two individuals in this plane. And in a brief second that probably will take the rest of my life to unpack, I watched them in complete silence fall from the sky and hit the ground. It was a crazy thing to witness, something that was so abnormal. Now, luckily, the second plane that collided in the air on a blue sky, bluebird day, actually made an emergency landing at the Longmont Airport. So these are the pictures of that plane and the emergency landing at the Longmont Airport. Amazingly, from somehow between that Walmart and the Longmont Airport, which is still west of town, she landed the plane. As I processed this moment, I looked around, and I saw the guy who I've actually seen many times before on the trail loading up his bike. He was sort of a lunchtime guy, too, who would bring his bike out, and he would load up, and I ran over to him, and I said, did you see that? And he said, no. I was like, you, you, didn't, you didn't see that? Like, what are you talking about? And then I looked around in the parking lot, and lo and behold, there was a Boulder County Sheriff's car in the parking lot. So I ran up to the window, trying not to scare the, the, the department, but I knocked on the window, and he, like, he got startled a little bit, and he, he put down his lunch, and he rolled down his window. I said, did you see that? He says, no. I mean, he was facing the direction this happened. I said, did you see this? He's like, no, what are you talking about? I said, a plane just crashed right over there on that hill. 
And as he pulled out of the parking lot to arrive on the scene, I was left there stunned. I had just witnessed two human beings, two men, a dad who was in flight school and the instructor crashed to earth and lose their lives. It was awful. And this was 11 days after I had turned 30, before kids. And it has changed my life and how I live, witnessing these two gentlemen's last 20 seconds on earth. The reality is it was a blue sky day and there's no way in which two planes that were breaking at the same time missed each other and clipped. Awful. But have you ever been in a situation and seen something that changed your life? Maybe it was the assassination of JFK. I remember my mom telling me where she was that day she learned in grade school, Houston, Texas, on a warm day. What about 9-11? Where were you that day? A day that changed our nation's history and trajectory. Maybe you've witnessed something so special as the birth of a child, and that changed your life. Maybe it was the sweet moments before a grandma or grandpa, a loved one, passed away. And you were in the room, and it sort of embedded in you and changed how you lived. This morning in Revelation 5, we are going to bear witness to something that is so incredible that it will change our lives. Now, you got to be with me here because I'm from Texas. I can exaggerate. If you're going to go fishing with me, I'm going to tell a story later on that that fish is way bigger than what I caught. If I'm going to ski, if you're going to ski with me, I'm going to tell you about an epic jump that I hit in the middle of the forest that really was just a bump in the road. So you got to bear with me when I say this, and I believe it's absolutely true. Outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the most important picture of who Jesus is. Don't take my word for it. Let's read it together. How about you? We pull up on Revelation 5. You got journals. You got your Revelation journals. Let's turn there. It's on page 20 of our Revelation journals. If you don't have a Revelation journal, there's a few in the back. Don't hesitate to jump up. There's some few at the Welcome Center. If you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Go all the way to the end. We're going to be at chapter 5, and we're going to read this together. Then I saw in the, in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scrolls and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. 
And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent unto, unto, sorry, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, "Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth." Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the el Elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in it, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessed and honored and glory and might forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so humbled to actually witness this moment. We are so unworthy to witness this moment, to be where John was, to see what John saw, to experience all that is happening and all that will happen. Lord, in these moments, may we catch a vision of something bigger than ourselves, bigger than our view of you, grander than what we can imagine. May it lead to worship. May it lead to us participating today in communion in a way that we have never experienced with you. The joy to be in fellowship with you in these moments. That you would walk with us, that you would teach us, instruct us, declutter our small visions of who you are. It's in your name I pray, amen. The picture of the slain lamb is probably one of the most important images you can have of Jesus Christ. This word lamb has started in chapter 5 and will continue through the rest of the book. It's such an important vision and statement of who Jesus is and the reality in which he exists now in the present. And we get this picture by jumping into the text to enjoying what John has enjoyed. 
If you follow in verse 1, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. So like last week, we're in the throne room of God, chapter 4 and chapter 5. Probably the center point of the book of Revelation. I know there's many chapters after this. But this is probably the most important two chapters in the entire book. See, once again, I'm telling you a fish that's bigger than what it really is, maybe. How would you trust me in this? How would you experience this? Aren't there 22 chapters in this book? Why are these two so important? It comes down to what we learned last week. What do we worship? The view of who we're going to worship. The view of the one who is seated at the right hand of God. He says he has a seal, a scroll with seven seals. To that, that sounds very strange. To this audience, it would have been very familiar. In Rome, most likely the most authoritative scroll you could send from town to town was the one that had seven seals on it. Why seven seals? It showed you the completion and the perfection of the scroll in which it was written on. It was the place in which if you received this, only a few could break these seals, worthy to break these seals in the Roman Empire. And here John sees one in the hand of God. And he's wondering who is going to be able to open this scroll. In verse 2, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? This is a very important question. And he looked, no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth, was able. And so John's response is this, to weep. Why would he need to weep? Isn't that important, John? What, what is contained in the, the scroll? What are the seven seals? Why, why, why would you be moved to tears? Well, most commentators depending on where you land, say probably the scroll is actually the unfolding of Revelation after chapter 5. It's the vision and the reality of which God will produce his judgment on the earth. Not only his judgment, but also bring it to completion. And John sees this scroll and he desires that God would make all things right. And as he looks around... This heavenly seam, no one is worthy to open it. And John desperately wants it to all make sense and to all be completed. And so he weeps. When you think about our lives, when we think about in ways in which we live, are you longing for something greater? Are you longing for the judgment of God? Are you longing for his completion in the world? The justice to be established, all the evil that exists, all the wrongs that have been done to be made right and to be judged fitting and properly. For John, he's longing for it. In fact, he's so longing for it that he cause, causes him to weep. This is so important. There's so many great passages in the Bible. Whenever you read about someone crying in the Bible, here's a heads up. Here's a tip to how to read your Bible. Pause and pay attention. Tears in the Bible are taken very seriously. 
Tears in the Bible are taken to the extreme of the reality in which we as human beings exist in the world. So John weeps, but there's good news. An elder touches him. He says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. We should know this language, the lion of Judah. It should hate Take us back all the way to Genesis 49. It should take us all the way back to the God's own story unfolding early on in the scriptures. The root of David, we should be anticipating this. We should be knowing exactly who this would be. This is the opening lines of Matthew, the gospel. These are the promises of old that are coming to completion through this one who is worthy to open the scroll. And between the throne and the four living creatures, this is verse 6, among the elders I saw a lamb stand, standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went, and he took the scrolls from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scrolls, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before this word again, the lamb. You might want to suck, circ, start circling lamb in Revelation. That might be helpful to see all the ways in which the lamb is referenced and the importance of that word in the title of Jesus. Let's pause for a moment. For those who were here last week, this is going to be a refresher course. Maybe you should grab another cup of coffee. For those who weren't here last week, there was a great message delivered by Thomas. You should go to calvarybible.com. Click on it. It'll make a lot more sense if you read that and listen to this one. It's sort of a part one and a part two of this chapter four and five. Thomas sort of helped us understand numbers in the Bible last week, right? So there's some numbers in this scripture as well. There's the number of four, which through the scriptures in the ancient world would be a sense of God's completion. So you see four all over chapter four. Five, you see it all over it. If you go back and read the text all again, you can count how many times this four is repeated in this scene. There's the seven is an important number. This is to signify perfection or God himself, the completion of God's purpose, the completion of what God is. So we see a lamb who has seven horns and seven eyes. You know what that means? That means that he is fully known, that this, this one who is standing and grabbing the scroll can see all, knows all. And then you have 12. You have 12 times two. And all my third graders who are learning the times tables, what is that? 24. 24 elders. Some commentators say this might be the tribe of Judah and then the 12 disciples. That could be true. I sort of fall into that category. Those are some of the most important moments in the scriptures. Also, it could be showing just how complete, once again, this vision is. That these elders are 24 times 2. It's an extravagant number when you look at this in sort of the numerology of the Bible. 
This is really referenced usually with the saints. So when you read 24 in the Revelation, and you're going to read that a couple of times, you're going to read 12s and 24s, just sort of have that in your picture. That, that, that's a reference to the saints. Now, what are the saints doing? They're holding harps, and they're pouring out something. What are they pouring out? Come on, someone. The prayers. Our prayers are being poured out into the throne room. God is listening. God is present. God is doing something amazing. So, that is the setting of who is worthy to open the scroll. Now let's look at what they're worshiping. The commentator says he starts a new song. A new song? We've been singing for a while in Revelation 4 and 5. We've been, we've been declaring over and over again God's completeness, God's fullness, God's authority, God's holiness. And now they switch gears to the one who actually can hold the scroll and break it open. And they sing a new song. Verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Wow. Worthy are you. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You catch the four there? The completion of creation in the midst? And you've made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. And they shall reign on earth. We find out who's worthy to open the scroll. And now the question is, why is he worthy to open the scroll? Why can he be the one to open the seven seals and unfold the plans of God from Revelation 6 to the end of the book? Why is he able, the only one, remember John's emotion, remember John's feeling that led him to tears was like, no one can do this. And then the elder points out one can. Why is Jesus the one worthy? There's three key aspects to make him worthy. And these are super important to our image of who Jesus is. So the first key aspect is he was slain. I know that is a simple explanation, but it is so important for us to realize that when Jesus is slain is the completion of all that he was doing, all that he was on the earth to put about, to, to, to finish and accomplish. He was slain. He, he was killed. And th this might be surprising to us because unlike what we expect of Jesus, we spoke through a conquering hero, a, a God who has um, power and political might and vision for the world. We're encountered by a lamb who was slain. Unlike how sometimes our culture depicts Jesus or wants Jesus to be voted in or to be made king of by power or made king by birthright or by uh, mischievous ways in which we know our kingdoms are made that way at times. Jesus' kingdom is made by his death. 
And that is really hard for us to come to terms with as human beings. Because we love a victory, don't we? We love, we love something when, when, when Coach Prime beats, you know, a team like Nebraska. Sorry, Nebraska people. When Coach Prime preaches, we love a victory, don't we? The might on which the CU Buffs destroyed the Nebraska Cornhuck. We love that, right? Our, our culture is saturated with that. You'll have game day show up because of those victories. You'll have political power because of those victories. You'll have monetary power because of those victories. And everything in our culture says, this is the way it works. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This is how God works. You go to death. You give up yourself. You remain silent when they accuse you. And you become the servant of all. And because he did those things, now God has given him the right to open up the scrolls. Now, let me get a little devotional on you here. How do you have a great career, a great marriage, great friendships, a great life? How do you have those things that we long to be and long to have in our lives? How do you have a great story for the end of your days You've run the race and done it well. Well, you do what Jesus did. You serve. You move in humility. You participate in the way in which God brings about those things. way in which God chooses the lowly of the world. This is always the way it has been. Think the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Think about the way in which Jesus receives the power to open up the scrolls. He goes to death. Now, I'm not saying you should live your life in order to be slain. I'm saying you should live your life, and if you get slain, that's the consequence. And don't worry, because God will bring you up. He will honor you. He will lift you up. That's so different than what we want, right? That's so different than what the Instagram reels tell us. It's so different than what the news cycles speak to us. It's so different than what even our companies sometimes want us and company policies. But it's through following the slain lamb who went first that we become the people that look like and participate with the slain lamb. Does that make sense? If you want a great life, which we all do, do what Jesus did. Because he, at the end, in the throne room of heaven, is given the one who's worthy. Okay, let's move on. Another key aspect of why Jesus is worthy is that he, underline this, your blood Your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
He's worthy because of his blood, he ransomed everyone, the whole creation. He ransomed all those who call his name by faith into the family of faith. Look at this. It's like the four shows up again. Every tribe, language, people, and nation. Everyone who can participate in receiving the blood of Christ gets in and gets to be a part of it. And because he does that, because his blood was spilled, because his blood was given on our behalf, because it was ransomed for the people, he is worthy to open up the the scrolls. This is so counterintuitive to how we would read in our culture that this is the way in which he completes the mission of God. The mission that started all the way back in Genesis 1. Before the foundation of the world, God knew that the way in which every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will come to fullness, to completion in his creation, would have to be through the blood. Now, I don't know if you get a vision of the nations very often, we usually don't around in northern Colorado. This summer, I had a really opportunity to go to Europe, and we were in Europe, and we were coming back, and we stopped in London for a few days. First time my family and I had ever been in London, and we, we had a, a tube station drop-off at Shepherd's Bush. That's sort of uh, West London, where our house was, where we were staying. And as every good man does, the first question he has is, where's the food? Like, where's the food? That's, I'm, I'm voting with my belly, okay? So where's the food? And so I get on Google, and it's been weeks since I have had real American food. And so I'm on Google, and one thing st- stands out to me. There's a, there's a mall just across a major sh- street. And lo and behold, it's one of the nicest malls I had ever been to. Like, I've been to the Gallerias. I have seen the Mall of America. This thing was grand. It had everything in it. It literally had everything in it. Every shop that was so important to the culture, every, every place in which you could find your name brands was there. And it had an amazing food court. And as I was doing my Google search, I noticed one thing and one thing only. There was Mexican food. Now it's the thing was to talk my family into having Mexican food. So we, we made our way over to the mall one night to get Mexican food. There's a Chipotle and then there's another Mexican restaurant. And we're like, we can have Chipotle anytime. Let's go do the other Mexican food. And I, I, I get the biggest burrito I can. I mean, it's been weeks, okay? My kids get tacos. No, they actually get quesadillas. And we have some guacamole and some queso and chips. And it's been weeks since we've had Mexican food, people. Okay? And now in my house, that's in your house, that might not mean anything. But to us, we have Mexican food like every other day. We're from Texas. Our kids are raised on this stuff. We love it. Taco Tuesday is a national day of the week. Okay, And as I'm digging into this burrito, as I'm enjoying this burrito, I look up. And in this mall, I see every tongue, tribe, language, and nation. I see the, the Brits who walk through, right? I see the, the Latin Americans. 
I see uh, the Afrikanis, the Africans. I see women in burqas. I see Muslim men. Every, every tribe, tongue, language, nation is in this mall. And it dawns on me, wow, this temple, which has gods that are far less important, draws every tribe, tongue, and nation. This mall does. But one day, one day, there will be a people ransomed by his blood who will draw all these people to the trueness of what he was creating in the beginning. And it is an amazing vision that you and I, we get, to, we get to see this and we're like, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, come quickly. This is the nations. Everyone gets to be invited to the party. Everyone is there. Everyone gets to participate with God. All those who are under his blood and are ransomed. And it's just spurring us something great, something wonderful about our lives that we should be looking towards every tribe, tongue, and nation and saying, come on, y'all, come on. Come through Jesus Christ. Come, come. He's restoring all things new. And here, because of his blood, he is worthy of praise. The third key aspect of his worthiness is this. You made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. He's made a kingdom, and he has priests. He's established something that is actually, at this point, 2,000 years later, is quite old, but also quite new. A kingdom. He's had made a kingdom. He completed the work of God. He set about on the earth the people of God through his death, burial, resurrection. Okay, got that there. We know that. Through his ascension, leaving it the keys on the way out, throwing the keys to us and saying, here you go. And then through the Holy Spirit. By giving the Holy Spirit, he has established a kingdom and priests. And because he's done that, he's worthy to open the scrolls. Because he's done that, it's fitting for him to bring about the judgments. Now, I have something that's a little goofy, okay? But bear with me here. If I had one wish for the people at Calvary Bible Church, I wish that one week out of the year, you walked in here and I gave you, every one of you, those who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, a priestly robe that's sort of like the priest that Aaron put on in the Old Testament. And for one week, you had to wear it around your work, your life, in your house, as you played sports, as you did life, as you went to Walgreens, as you shopped at King Supers, you would have to wear this priestly robe. It would identify you for one week of actually who you are. You know why I would do that? Why I would do something ridiculous like that? Because if I did that, I think I would really get who I was. 
It's, it would be my identity, right? So often we put on our sports gear of our favorite teams because we want to take on their identity. So often we will look at for the name brands or the little logos on the short shirts because we want to participate in this identity, right? This is why they market to you. So you, you, you feel empty, so you buy a brand or a thing, and then you become that person. You know, it's just like me telling the guy, the Xfinity, I'm in the Mac universe. I'm, I'm destined for this. I'm, 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 I'm gifted for this. I'm stepping into the Apple product. So if we wore priestly robes for a week, I guarantee you would drive a little different. I guarantee you would act a little different. I guarantee you would think a little different. And we might actually start looking what the Bible calls us, which is priest. And because he calls us priests, and because we participate in the kingdom of God, he's worthy. He's worthy to open the scroll. That's the point. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who's worthy to get past Revelation 5? It's Jesus Christ. And that is who's worthy. Now, how do we remember this vision? First and foremost, you've got to read it. You've got to delight in it. You've got to participate and think about probably the most significant event outside the resurrection is this event right here in Revelation. And I get it. I get it. Some of us, when we read it, sometimes when I read it, you find me yawning. Sometimes when I read it, you find me rushing past it. Sometimes when I read it, I get it, I get it. So that's, that's amazing. All right, what's next? And looking at my calendar. Let this vision of who Jesus Christ is transform your life. Because it is a very extreme vision of who Jesus Christ is, which is the slain lamb. And because he is those things, we get to worship. This morning, we have a wonderful time to worship. Today, we're going to do communion together. It's the first of the month here at Calvary. If you're new to Calvary, we slow down first of the month, and we participate in the Lord's Supper together. And this is a wonderful time for us to make sure to soak in the reality in which we just witness, which is Jesus Christ being worthy, being worthy. And so if you're helping with communion, will you please come forward, take your place? And as we prepare our hearts, let me pray for us and prepare our hearts to receive the bread and cup of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I'm grateful for this picture. I'm grateful for the picture of the slain lamb, that you're the one worthy. I am not worthy, but you are worthy. You're a a God who is set apart. And Jesus, you're the one. You're the one who we center our lives around once again. Confessing our sin, making it right with our brothers and sisters, and enjoying the meal in which you established to remember you. So in this moment, Jesus, use your spirit to guide us, to prompt us, and lead us into being, once again, the priest and living into the kingdom. It's your name we pray. Amen.